Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts, your host, and I'm joined today by... Matthew Castle. Don't know why I made you say your own name there. Well, I, I like saying it. Oh, good, good. Well, that works out then. Just like the hero we're focusing on today. <laughs> yes, uh, the hero today is Bond, James Bond. Um, we're talking about James Bond games because uh, IO Interactive has just been announced that, well, I say just when you're listening to this, not just, probably about a month ago. Uh, making a James Bond game, we don't know much about it other than that it focuses on the origins of James Bond. And IO Interactive is the developer of the Hitman series, most famously, but also uh, Kane and Lynch, the two <laughs> games there, and Mini Ninjas. <laughs> Mini Ninjas. And um, we'll talk about this um, this news in a little bit, because we've got some quite detailed thoughts, I think, about why IO is a great fit for this series. So yeah, I mean, I suppose, Matthew, what was your first reaction to that news? We won't go into a massive detail, but like, how did you react to, to that news on Twitter? I was thrilled. Uh, I think this is about as good good a piece of video game news as you can get. Um, I think a lot of people have dream combinations in their head, and this was either one of those, or it uh, the moment they heard it, you just can't deny that it, it, it makes sense. So this was like... Oh, finally, something good. Something good has happened in games. That's what I thought. I thought, this is so good, it's implausible that it happened. (laughs) (laughs) And in my head, I thought, I really want to believe that Io just went to, like, I don't know, the Broccoli's or whoever has the rights and just said, look, here's our proof of concept for what this game is. And they just went, yep, we're not making a game right now, but yep, this has captured our imaginations. It probably didn't happen that way, but that's what I want to believe happened. Um, Yeah, I think so. I think Bond is, uh, because it's sort of, good again by which i mean it's successful again i'd like to think that they're super precious so it wouldn't happen unless it was good yeah absolutely so my the first topic here james bond good or bad now i ask this because (laughs) this the whole thing (laughs) the whole james bond yeah so obviously like i don't really want to get into like the author fleming being like racist and all that stuff obviously (laughs) and Obviously, he was kind of a problematic figure by our modern day standards, and I wouldn't read his books. But the films, I don't know about your experience of Bond films, but I watched them all basically in the late 90s when uh, I think ITV aired all of them. Yeah, every, every like Wednesday or something, they'd show a Bond film. Yeah, and I think that's probably when our generation, well, actually, that's not true because this happened after Goldeneye had come out on N64. Yeah. So it just kind of galvanized our generation's interest in James Bond. But recently, I, I tried to. So my, me and my girlfriend have watched a couple of Bond films together, but I was trying to come up with a list of like the truly good ones, yeah. and I don't think there are more than like five or six. Right? Um, it's, oh, is that bold? I was going to say that's bold. I don't know. I need to hear them first. <laughs> well, I think they're like a couple of the Connery ones, very good. Um, I wouldn't. I don't think I could really say any of the Roger Moore ones are good. Um, I like good by a different criteria yeah i think that's the thing i don't think what i mean by good is compared to other films that aren't james bond i think james bond is like a genre of its own oh oh, it 100 percent is a genre of its own yeah um and there are enough of them that it they can be judged and and ranked in many interesting ways yeah whereas i i would say that there's probably a handful that i would say are are great movies in and of themselves like casino royale would be one of those uh skyfall would be one of those um I think Goldeneye just about. Um, oh, I, th- I think I think Goldeneye is comfortably a yeah. great Bond film. <laughs> yeah, I'm being harsh there. I, <laughs> I would say that probably um, the first of the Dalton ones, The Living Daylights, is very good. What do you think? But what do you think overall? I, I think On Her Majesty's Secret Service is like amazing in some ways, than terrible in others. But yeah, is, is a very celebrated entry these days. It is the weird thing about On Her Majesty's Secret Service is that he's dubbed over by another actor for a large chunk of it. Yeah, under the guise that he's going undercover, but you're like, hmm, that's... he sounds like this all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that to me feels like, I mean, that's that's a that's quite like a, a like a rushed fix for something. That's the kind of decision making that would that that happens in games magazines a lot. I've got a lot of time for that. You're like, yeah, I know what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's impressive. I'm I'm a big fan of ba- uh, a big fan of Bond in general. Like I've watched them all, you know, since I was quite young. Um, I'm very fond of all of all the eras. I even like Roger Moore. I think Spy Love Me is absolutely fantastic. Um, that's a fun film. Yeah. Bit of blockbuster entertainment and like lots of iconic stuff. Um, you know, I think they're they everyone brings brings something to it. Um, I'm such a Bond nut. I even did uh, when I was at university. I didn't do a, a dissertation or, or anything like that or a thesis. So I did a. Um, we had to do like an extended essay, which counted as one of our papers, and I did it on Bond adaptations. 
and uh, I'd listen to the theme tune on Her Majesty's Secret Service every hour on the hour to like spur myself on when I was writing it because it's such a great piece of music. <laughs> yeah, but that theme is amazing. Do you mean the one that plays in the opening credits? Because there's, there's no song in that one, right? It's just... Yeah. When you're trying to motivate yourself, that has got such a good build to it, and you're like, whatever you're doing seems 100% um, more badass yeah. uh, until you get it back, and, and it got a tutu. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear the variations of that theme um, in, the ga- in the game, sorry, in the film's 19 ski chase sequences. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it has I mean, there's that really weird bit as well where he sort of sits in the kind of engine room of a of a chairlift oh, yeah. for like half an hour feeling <laughs> sad um it is odd it is an odd film it's a weird film that one like, i think like um soderberg wrote about it on his website um saying it's the his favorite bond film but said that there's about 20 minutes out in the middle you should cut out and he's right the bit where he's doing the camp accent and he's like the I know he's pretending to be that guy who's... The sort of heritage expert. Yeah, but yeah. he's got just going to Blofeld's base and wearing a kilt or something. <laughs> it was just a load of a load of nonsense. And like, there's some really weird like 60s sci-fi imagery in that one where those women just come awake when there's like Jerry Anderson lights playing on the yeah, ceiling. Yeah, it's got like big Avengers energy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, which obviously you know, Diana Riggs in it, and she's she's very good and helps balance out Lazenby just being okay, I think. Yeah, for um, sure. But yeah, that's I, I'm I'm quite obsessed with that film. I've seen it like um, five or six times, and like I think it was one of my breakup films at one point, which is very embarrassing. Oh, really? Yeah, but I am um, I think Bond overall, like I've I've called on it a bit in recent years, just because I think that the conversation around it is quite tedious on on social media and stuff when mm. any conversation about the best bond i've got no time for oh now. yeah yeah and i just can't be bothered um but i do quite like seeing these weird little consensus kind of appearing like people seem to like tomorrow never dies now um, yeah I, I quite like it i think jonathan price is fun i think i think people like the idea of like you know the heads of newspapers being like actual bond villains because i think that's how people perceive a lot of our media barons um so as this sort of Rupert Murdoch figure uh it's got it's got some fun stuff in it it's I got think, some, a good thing tune as well yeah I, th- I think my problem with any Bond film that has a character who's not going to get his hands dirty is the main villain which I think, I think <laughs> they've that's just a, got like a big muscly guy standing next to them yeah well I think like that's why you know Le Chiffre is such a good villain in um in Casino Royale because he's just such a nasty character yeah whipping James Bond's balls or whatever he does <laughs> in that chair <laughs> but like um I, and whereas I think like just print like nefarious newspapers uh is it a submarine or something um, well he's making the he's 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 sort of manipulating events and and causing disasters but like, to then write the headlines but like you know no offense to jonathan bryce but in that film i could beat the shit out of him so I, he doesn't come across <laughs> as that intimidating a villain and likewise i think quantum of solace one of the big problems of that film is that matthew almerick's stealing water or whatever <laughs> and like again like I, I, it's not intimidating like, i just i think Bond, great Bond villains have that mixture of being like a good, good giving a good monologue, but then they'll also get their hands dirty, you know. Um, yeah, there's actually a lot of video game design in in the the idea of a weak man who, as long as you can kill his strong bodyguard, you can then kill him easily. That is how a lot, and it's all, and it's it's equally anticlimactic when it happens in video games, hmm. where you kill a big monster and then you just. The, the the guy's like sprawled back on some steps or something as you walk up to him and you're like, oh, you go. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of people might have listened to me saying um, James Bond, good or bad, and thought, well, this guy can go to hell. And um, <laughs> but I, I do I do fundamentally like James Bond, but like this, <laughs> it's a specific alchemy of things that make me actually think one of the films is good. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, yeah, I, I don't think you see it that consistently. It's a, it's a weirdly inconsistent series. But um, yeah, uh, certainly good uh, basis for a video game. Mm. So yeah, we wanted to talk a bit about the Bond games as well, because I think the good or bad conversation extends to that. Uh, what's your kind of history with the Bond games, Matthew? Were you, were you a big GoldenEye fan? Oh, well, of course. I mean, you kind of feels like you sort of have to be. I, I don't know many Nintendo fans of my age who weren't into GoldenEye. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were we were obsessed with it. Um, all my friends at school were, were crazy into it. We liked Bond so much that... Uh, on one of my friend Mark Lucemore's birthday um, at his house, he had an N64 with Bond. Someone else bought their N64 with Bond so that we could have it set up in the corner and just playing like the music, the holding music at the start of the game. 
as the soundtrack for the rest of the party, which involved us playing James Bond on a different N64. We were that into GoldenEye. A lot of girls at that party, I uh, No, it was... <laughs> no, no, just four mega virgins. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we had a lot of Haribo. It was fantastic. Um, I haven't... I genuinely haven't been to an adult party that is as good as that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I wish adult parties were like that. Um, but, yeah, loved... Loved GoldenEye. Um, in a way, I think it's probably such a big, happy memory in my head that it's kind of made it very, very difficult for anything to kind of come close in terms of Bond games, not general life experiences. <laughs> like my life's not that sad. It wasn't like I was getting married and I was thinking, well, this is just isn't as good as Facility. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that would be mad. Yeah. Um, of course how about you were you a, were you a goldeneye fan at back i always associate you and your past with playstation mm, well the thing is right like my dad didn't buy me an n64 like um I, he refused to on the basis that like he said he can play all the good games on pc and i was like that is categorically not true with the n64 <laughs> where there are like 10 or so you know probably no more than about 15 amazing games on n64 but the ones that are, were, were good were so good and so replayable that they were they were the games I kind of always like lusted after as a, when I was like ten or eleven, but like you, I, I knew loads of kids who had N sixty fours. So much so that N sixty four and GoldenEye was so pervasive that I was quite surprised to learn just how behind uh, Nintendo were in that generation. Because yeah. to me, it seemed like every kid had that game and that console. I was quite surprised to learn that the N64 was not a high-selling machine by any means. Yeah, like, it's weird. The the nostalgia piece is whenever it's an anniversary of PlayStation and they're like, PlayStation took over the culture. Like, I think it must have taken over a slightly older cult, you know. Mm. It was the young adults as opposed to teenagers. Or at least that's how it perceived to me. Like, I could, I, I think I knew, like, one person with a PlayStation. I would have sworn GoldenEye was the biggest game on the planet, but... yeah. Yeah, I knew I knew two people with PlayStations. Like I, you know, just I knew one person who one kid who played a Metal Gear Solid when I was a kid. But everyone had played GoldenEye, and everyone had played uh, Super Mario sixty four, and everyone had played um, uh, Ocarina of Time as well. Like yeah. these were like uh, these were pervasive like cultural touchstones for people of my age at that time. Yeah. Um. So no, I didn't have an N sixty four, but I played loads of GoldenEye at other people's houses, and I I played. I I'd completed the campaign as well um, in GoldenEye, like around someone's house. I played the whole game, I, mm. I sampled the cheats and all that stuff. But I definitely was chasing GoldenEye a bit when I got a PS2, and I played pretty much every Bond game, right? Trying to get find that experience again, and it just didn't happen because EA, I think, famously just um, didn't do a great job with the license. Um, they made a, there's some interesting bits to their games. I would say that like the vehicle sections in the PS2 Bond games are pretty good, mm. um, but because that, that was kind of EA's bread and butter, I guess. But they were like a weird mix of were they mostly original Bond stories? Yeah, Did they do any film adaptations? They, I know there was a, there was a the World's Russian Not Love. Enough was a PlayStation One game. Yeah. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies, they did too. Um, that's a terrible game. Um, Third-person shooter on um, PS1. Um, oh, no, sorry, yeah, The World Is Not Enough was on N64. That's it, Tomorrow Never Dies was on PS1. The World Is Not Enough was not very good on on um, N64. Yeah. And to this day, because they abbreviated it as Twine, when anyone talks about Twine games online, I always think, <laughs> The World Is Not Enough, every single time. <laughs> yeah, I, I played Tomorrow Never Dies. I didn't play Twine. I did play Agent Under Fire and Nightfire. Um, which were both uh, very like average first-person shooters, and like there was just a weird specific magic to GoldenEye where they replicated and like extrapolated on parts of the film to build these very iconic first-person shooter levels. That when you watch the film now, it's almost like the prism of the game, isn't it? it was... Yeah, and and uh, like you remember scenes that don't happen in the film because of the game. Yeah, you're like, oh man, this is gonna be the shootout on the. Wait a second, there weren't any hostages on this boat. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, the facility sequence is so brief. Like, there's no <laughs> there's no meeting Doctor Doke or any of that stuff. It's just like. You know, they get in and they set the charges, and then Oromov's suddenly there, and then like the explosion. You know, there's a bit of 
interplay between uh, Sean Bean and Pierce Brosnan, and then the facility blows up. And it's a phenomenal sequence, but... Bond doesn't spend 10 minutes looking for a bloke called Dr. Toek, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, the game... Uh, it's a, I really like when I see people talk about the film and they can't help but talk about the game because that there's n- almost no other examples of that where yeah. the game ended up becoming a bigger deal other than maybe the Chronicles of Riddick. So, yeah, I mean, did you play any of those other Bond games after GoldenEye? Yeah, I th- like rentals here and there because they were all very one and done. I sort of remember the EA era being... They all felt a little bit like a James Bond reskin of, like, early Medal of Honor games. Yeah. They all felt very like they were sort of cinematic shooters which goldeneye actually isn't like goldeneye is like weirdly open in certain ways you know it's almost like a slight precursor to to some of those sort of immersive sims in terms of like you had a space you had a load of weapons you could sort of snipe everyone out quietly or you could just turn it into a bloodbath you know there were there were levels where it felt like they they were like big loops and you could kind of do them in different ways or different routes that's why i replayed goldeneye where i don't think you could say that about any of the you know agent under fire and night fire they were very like call of duty kind of what call of duty is now those very like linear kind of tickle we set pieces off as it goes through yeah um some of those goldeneye levels felt like horror levels as well um because of the music and the setting um it was strange some of the surface levels the fact that you could do a big chunk of the game twice is quite odd as well yeah um so yeah like the surface level uh the first one where you're um looking for those radar towers uh, someone like uh, had kind of made an itch game that was that level except monsters start appearing and flashing in and out <laughs> that would really shit me up because the music was quite <laughs> scary for the time um but yeah you're right there was just they were kind of like flavorless mush the um agent under fire and um uh nightfire game what was that they made that weird one which was like I think it was third person, or it went into third person. Yep, that's everything or nothing. Um, that was uh, that was the one where they got Brosnan to do the voice, um, as well as like a load. Of, I think Willem Dafoe is the villain in it. Like huh. it's an, a proper original Bond story, but the game feels very low budget. You kind of do the same driving section like four or five times, and the levels are pretty boring. I, I don't think I, I didn't finish it, but I got pretty far. Um, but at the time, it probably seemed like a big deal that Brosnan was in the game. Um, yeah, they started throwing their money about a bit, and it's like, oh, well, this is kind of an unofficial new Bond film because it's got you know a singer in it will do a song, and it's got Brosnan. And then they did that weird thing where they got... Didn't they get Sean Connery out of retirement to voice... From Russia With Love. From Russia With Love. Yeah, so that was probably the boldest, weirdest one they did. Um <laughs> I, I did play a lot of Nightfire's multiplayer, actually, with a friend of mine, because we basically put the bots on, which obviously Goldeneye didn't have bots, but Perfect Dark did. Yeah. Um, and we would just mainline the bots hundreds of times, and the the competition would be who could kill the most bots in, like... Oh, that's an- classic. I mean, that's, that's what bots are for. Yeah, and that's what you do when you have nothing but spare time on your hands in your teenage years, um, <laughs> which we did at a lot of time. So, um... Yeah, but I don't think I ever really loved it. I think the closest I got to really liking another Bond game was the weird Game Boy uh, yeah. Zelda game. Do you play that game? Yeah, I, I played it played it back in the day. Um, it's not bad. No, it's not. No, it's 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 weird. Like at the time, I just played it and consumed it as a weird little Bond thing. But now, when I look back on it, you know, I see that it like is kind of a weird Zelda clone that sort of passed me by almost. Like I didn't notice. I didn't make that connection back then. Mm, yeah, and had a really good um, blackjack uh, mini game built into it. Which yeah. was, you could just play blackjack if you didn't fancy playing Bond. You could actually just—I think you typed in B Jack as your um, your name in the menu screen, and you just got to play the back, uh, blackjack game, which was quite cool. <laughs> I like the idea of an alt history where Bond just forgoes being a spy and he's just just absorbed endlessly <laughs> into blackjack while the world burns. And isn't called James Bond, but is in fact called he is B-Jack. Now called B-Jack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you were playing blackjack against someone called B-Jack, you'd know you were in trouble. You wouldn't sit at that table. <laughs> so yeah, like there were those. And then later on, Activision got the license and um, two, I think, colossally disappointing Bond games, um, which felt like they had so much potential at the time. I remember there being these very beautiful edge covers for, um, for the two games. But 007 Bloodstone... And the GoldenEye remake for Wii. Oh, yeah. Both, I think, like, Bloodstone obviously has Daniel Craig in it. And so does um, GoldenEye, weirdly. <laughs> yeah. Which feels like they kind of, like, someone put a clause in the contract that you couldn't get out of to me. But really, like, don't feel like Craig films. I like, completely missed the tone of what I perceive to be the tone of those um, films. Like, the kind of, like, slightly grittier, realistic feel. 
the guy the guy they got to write it i think was one of the brosnan era writers and it does feel like a very trad brosnan-esque story which completely misses the texture of the of what daniel craig brings to the character which is mainly Um, thumping people in toilets i think yeah it is and just and monologuing a bit in in quite a sort of like stern way um and just (laughs) i I know just the kind of good set pieces and stuff just it just wasn't the same magic wasn't really there did you play these games um i didn't play bloodstone i played the goldeneye remake which i don't really rate I just think it's bizarre to try and crowbar Daniel Craig into like another Bond story. Like it just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, got good reviews at the time though. Weirdly, yeah, I think. Well, if you listen to our re- review episode last week, you'll know that there was um, a bit of a thirst for any we any company that showed we like a modicum of love. And admittedly, it was like exclusive and quite shiny, but it also turned Goldeneye into quite a boring Call of Duty, like, linear shooter. Yeah. Um, it just didn't understand what made GoldenEye good at all, I don't think. Yeah. Well, it became really obvious when the game came to PS3 and um, Xbox 360, where it's like, next to Call of Duty, you see, oh, no, these are just bad versions of this game, which was the same for the Quantum of Solace tie-in that Treyarch made in 2008. I don't know if you played that, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, again, just uh, quite quite cool how they did the difference switching between first and third person. Yeah. I think that worked all right, but it was just very boring and quite short first-person shooter. There's the really infamous one is the 007 Legends. Ah, uh, the low-scoring one. Which, yeah. which was made up of, like, famous scenes from um, previous you know, older Bond films. It was almost like a, a game adaptation of, like, several other Bond films, mm. but which, which I actually haven't played... But the, the the joke I always hear about it is a game that like misjudges it so much, and there's a scene in it where someone asks asks what Bond's name is, and he turns around and says James Bond. <laughs> 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 I don't know if that's true, but I God, I hope it is. Uh, I think yeah. that was uh, I think Will Porter mentioned that in his Eurogamer review. That's where I remember that from. Oh, um, yeah, that was wild. I think there was one as well which had Goldeneye in the name. Maybe Goldeneye Rogue Agent. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And it was called Goldeneye because he literally had a golden eye. (laughs) Yeah, what a cheeky... I mean, I think that that got really slated at the time, I think. Um, Yeah. Mid-noughties EA game. (laughs) Oh, man, yeah, I completely forgot about that one, yeah. Obviously, everything was living in the shadow of Goldeneye, but all of them... I wonder if any of them actually outsold Goldeneye. One of them must have, surely. I don't know. I think that it was... It was, was like, one of the three best-selling games on the N64. I think... Pretty mm. much, if you had an N64, you bought GoldenEye. So all of the early EA ones, they were pretty successful. Um, mm. They were just like right time PS2 games. People wanted like wanted Bond games at the time. Um, GoldenEye created unrealistic expectations, which I think like probably led to a halo effect of all these games selling well. Yeah. Um, but it's a real shame that like, I don't know, whatever happened, did, just Nintendo didn't hold on to the license. I mean, it was so weird that that game even happened to begin with, really. Mm. All games in, so far have just been living in GoldenEye's shadow, and um, that uh, seemed like it was never going to change, and Bond games kind of went away after Legends because, mm. you know, no one had really cracked it, and who knows? I've no idea what the um, license holders thought of those games, but um, or if they even cared, but nonetheless, here we are years later, and Bond is in the hands of IO Interactive, the makers of Hitman and the last two Hitman games and the upcoming third one, I'm sure will be very good as well. Those last two games were phenomenally good. Oh, uh, fantastic. S- sandbox, like assassination games, basically, with a mixture of stealth and kind of like role play and all of this different cool um, player choice stuff. Let's talk about it, Matthew. Um, IO Interactive versus Bond. Like what's the, you know, uh, what era of Bond do you think IO are the best fit for? And, you know, what will they bring to that, that yeah, type of game? It's- it's, it's it's an interesting one because like uh, you know the 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 what what IO do brilliantly and and I think what what is the most obvious natural fit for Bond is their like eye for like cinematic level design you know they take global destinations it's a big globe you know trotting adventure which Bond is um, but they take places and they sort of distill them down to like their absolute like cinematic core mm. like i wouldn't say when you play play any of the particularly in hitman one and two is mainly what i'm thinking of when you play their levels i don't think you necessarily think wow i'm in that place you think oh this is such a you know it just it's such a cool rich version of this place you yeah, know it's, great it's, set dressing you know yeah that's the thing they always feel like really elaborate sets um which i like there's 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 just a real sort of cinematic vibe 
not in terms of like oh it's full of cutscenes and all that stuff just just how they view the world like i think they they are clearly influenced by broad kind of filmic takes and that that is very bond to me and also like very classy very like um i'd say almost like the sort of, i'd probably like the, the if i was to pin an ear on it i'd say like the sam mendes bond films where they're just sort of beautiful. Everything's beautifully composed, even though it's a world you're walking through. Deaconsy colours. Yeah, know, very, yeah, yeah. They're they're they've got that kind of um, richness to it. I, I I am I am interested in where they go tonally with this because you know, in terms of like if they're going to try and ride the Daniel Craig success train, you know, even though it's an origin story, which would imply it's not going to be Daniel Craig or it's not going to be a Bond we know. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be something else, but it's whether they kind of carry on with that tone. Like, I don't think they'll go camp with it. No. <laughs> no, I don't think so, no. I, I I think, like, you might see a bit of... So a few campy elements sneak in there. I think, like, what the potential of it to me is that it, it basically becomes the Bond film you want it to be. So let's assume that not every mission is going to be an assassination, because it won't be, right? Like, yeah. there'll be different types of things that you're doing, like stealing information. Like, you can you can really see, though, how, like, those big Bond scenes, like the um, poker table in Casino Royale, might fit, factor into an IO interactive level, you know? Like, you sneak something into someone's drink um, while you're playing cards at the table or whatever. Yeah. I can see how some bits of the Bond world work with um, IO, but other parts are kind of a mystery. And whether it becomes a kind of sandboxy game or not, I'm not sure. Like, I can yeah. see it having elements of that, but not necessarily being what the game is. Yeah, it's weird. I think the stuff IO do well are the things I like most about Bond. Like, I like infiltration. I like low-key Bond. I like Bond when he just sort of saunters in to the kind of behind-the-scenes area and does some sort of spy work. Mm. I'm less into Bond when it becomes an all-out action thing, which it rarely does. Maybe, like, one set piece of film, you know, he'll kind of really kick things off and, you know, drive a tank through Moscow or whatever, (laughs) uh, St. Petersburg. Um, And, um, you know, and interestingly, like, the stuff I don't like in Bond, I would say, is also the stuff I don't think IO are as good at (laughs) in terms of, like, big action, or at least not in the Hitman games. Yeah. You know, when when Hitman becomes an action game, it's at its least satisfying for me. Whether they like lean into that, I don't know. I, I would imagine for a kind of mainstream audience, a Bond game would probably have to tick a few boxes that IO aren't used to ticking. Car chases. Car chases, definitely. I mean, like, you know, that I know. Will they do vehicle sections? That's always been the thing where where Bond games have kind of kind of come unstuck. I feel because they've you've had studios which have been like racing studios who've then made bad shooting bits in between mm. and then you've had shooter studios who've made bad racing bits you know sometimes you have the old we got our friends at criterion to design the cars for us or whatever and you're like okay um i don't think io can do that and there's nothing in their their um back catalog that kind of points to that kind of stuff i wonder if they might just do like a couple of those to kind of um to kind of pace break between levels or something like that but then that is a a problem that all of these bond games have faced is they've never woven those together that well and the cars are part of bond that's the thing but then so too are the gadgets and the gadgets is obviously where you can see the crossover between hitman and bond very very strongly Mm. Uh, the kind of ludo i mean you can just think about like the pen that explodes in goldeneye as being like a thing that agent 47 would have to kind of give someone um as they're writing and then uh, to be used as a method of assassination but again like not all the levels are going to be assassination levels because bond doesn't necessarily do that all the time but i suppose it's just where you see enough crossover in the dna of the games and what a bond ga- a film uh, sorry a bond game adaptation could be that you think there's no way it can be a disaster right it can only be a good thing <laughs> yeah um, i th- i think so i i i honestly think they've kind of made the best bond game since Goldeneye anyway, you know, I think Hitman 1 and 2 are that. I think Sapienza is a Bond level mm. in that it begins in that town, it begins up top, and you basically end in a secret lab under the island. Yes. Doing like, you know, I think, you, if anything, there it's out of place and it maybe jars with the Hitman, you know, what you expect from a Hitman game because he's there trying to destroy a virus and you're like, eh, is this really Agent 47's deal? Mm. Uh, but if that was just Bond... That would be absolutely no problem. Like yeah. infiltrate this base, destroy a virus. That is classic stuff. I, I you know, and 
it just feels like they've been auditioning for Bond with with Hitman One and Two. I mean, now that you now this deal's come to light, you look at it and you think, I mean, so much of this. I mean, Paris in Hitman One. That's that's just Bond. You know, he walks in the front doors, brazen as you like in his tuxedo, and Flies he's there to do some like notorious, you know, nefarious things. That's so Bond. Yeah. Um, I you know, I mean, they could. I almost think the the, the struggle for them is going to be like differentiating it from what they've done it's like how do you make a bond game when you've already, like you can't just repeat yourself but you've sort of nailed it yeah i guess the character has to become more a defined bond character and less the kind of blank slate agent 47 that you're used to yeah um but i agree with you like there are the paris is another good example of um, a, a really good like uh, basically a bond level as it is and i would also say that um that Isle of Segale, is it? Um, from Hitman 2? Oh, the castle at the end. That is so, like, Bond. Like, yeah. just uh, people wearing masks and stuff, right? And then kind of weird rituals, and you pull up in a boat and <laughs> pull off the mission. And, like, that's very Bond, Bond-like. That is a very kind of eyes wide shut sort of level. But <laughs> yeah. that that whole thing felt like something I could totally see in my mind's eye in, like, a Daniel Craig Bond film. I I, I thought that a lot about the first one. The Haw- Is it Hawk, Hawk Beach? Hawk Island? The... The first level in Hitman As 2. As in the um, tutorial level. Yeah, the, yeah. the sort of new, is it like a New Zealand beach? I think it's Hawke Bay, maybe? Yeah, when you um, you go to Hawke's Bay, yeah, you go to the um, the house. Yeah, and, that's uh, like, yeah. that, is, that, that really reminds me of the opening of Casino Royale, where he goes to that shady office, yeah. and he's talking about like the hits he's done. Like, it, it's a very low-key, like, sort of Bond as assassin, because that's kind of what they were trying to do with the Daniel Craig... Um, bonds weren't they They were trying to like remind you that fundamentally he's like a professional killer mm. for the government and he's a, a hitman or a monk. what's i can't remember the line something about him being a monk monk who is also a hitman <laughs> it's better than that <laughs> it's it's cool what they say in the film is cool he's like you're what's like your a, name you're James like a bond. monk but you're also like a hitman that's interesting <laughs> um but that to me that that feels very like daniel craig daniel craig bond um one thing that gives me slight pause, I don't know if you agree with me on this, is that I'm not wild about the actual cutscenes and storytelling like in between missions in Hitman 1 and 2. Oh no, it's terrible. I mean, I don't I don't really care about Oh no, that's the thing. In Hitman it isn't important, but I think they probably that that kind of does have to work probably in a Bond film. Yeah, I, I think um, a Bond game. Sorry, I think what helps is that the in in game narratives are excellent. Um, mm. The ones where you like follow a path and you give people you know an ironic punishment, and like the the dialogue is very well written and it's uh, the they're very funny, darkly comedic scenarios that you uh, manipulate. So the wider story in Hitman is boring like, and does nothing for me, but the uh, the in mission stories are fantastic. So, yeah, they are. You're, you're right. Yeah, so I wonder if it's like. If if you can see it as sort of um, you pick how you're going to infiltrate, but then Bond really gets into it, yeah, I guess I will have to go and be a model on this runway, and you know he's kind of <laughs> sort of he's sort of wry about it. I, <laughs> I could sort of see that working, where it's more like uh, what's the Bondness of me assuming the role in this scenario, <laughs> um, and that that's where I kind of see it being almost like a kind of contemporary kind of Roger Moore take rather than a very gritty like Daniel Craig take. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's, maybe like in every level there are like actions you can do which it defines as like these are like the six bonds, sort of archetypal bonds. Oh, that'd be so good. So you get to the end and it's like, you you just did the violent Timothy Dalton run. Or you get to the end, you're like very suave, like Sean Connery. Or it's like that was naff, like Roger Moore. Or you ended in a ski chase, and that's George Layton. <laughs> yeah, every level, no matter where it is in the world, <laughs> it could be the top of a skyscraper in Tokyo. Somehow ends with a ski chase. It's like, yep, your Layton beat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like that idea. That's a that's a great idea. I hope they do that. I, one thing I, I was interested to hear your take on was whether you think you know, as uh, we have this dream vision, obviously of them kind of doing the sandbox thing whether you think that's too complicated or niche from like maybe what a mainstream bond has to be like i'm basically curious do you think they're gonna have to dumb down hitman or what they've been doing in hitman to kind of make this work for presumably a 
what they're going to hope is a wider audience. Well, I feel like they'll have to make changes. I really hope that the Hitman level structure is something they find a way to make work. Because mm. if you pad those out with third-person shooter levels where he has to know, raid a facility or something, that's like, I see that being bad. But, um, yes. <laughs> but like, you kind of hope that if it's a James Bond origin story, it could take place over a long period of time and therefore the story can zone in on these key moments in his career as he becomes a secret agent. And I, I wonder if, like, the difficulty settings just become calibrated to, if you're the big Bond movie fan, select this difficulty setting. If you're a Hitman fan, select this difficulty setting. Right, yeah. That's what I kind of hope they'll go for, but hard to tell. Um, yeah, I feel like they have been, they've been wrestling with that question in Hitman 1 and 2, hmm. you know, with, like, the, the guided opportunities, which some people are just like, no, not interested, turn them off. But even other people are like, even that is, is still too kind of obscure for them to actually play. Like, I feel Hitman is a game you bring your a lot of experience with previous Hitman games as to just what you're meant to be doing in it. Yeah. Uh, maybe that will work here too, just because everyone knows fundamentally what Bond is about and like how Bond is meant to behave. Mm. So maybe that ticks that box for them, but... Yeah, I'm I'm, def- I'm definitely curious to see if if going like mainstream, which I think this is, yeah, um, is, is going to like have a big impact on them and kind of definitely I can't see it being as mean as Hitman. Yeah, Hitman's kind of like in a corner a bit of being uh, the people who love it really love it, but it doesn't really have mainstream appeal. Mm. This this has to have mainstream appeal, so obviously something probably has to change in the process, but. At the same time, like I can't see them going too far away from what they're good at. Mm. The reason this seemed like a slam dunk is because they led with the fact that IO is making this. And what does that tell you? It doesn't tell you that they're going to make Kane and Lynch, but with Bond. It tells you they're going to make Hitman with Bond because Hitman is their bread and butter and has been for the last you know five, six, seven years. So there, there has to be a way in for those people. So yeah, like you say, being as mean as it is, probably not. But then maybe the kind of different ways in which the game kind of rates your mm. your performance are where the kind of hitman nuance comes into it. Um, yeah. that's... Dal- Dalton's mean. He's mean Bond. Dalton, there's not loads in it between Dalton and Craig's Bond, really. Um, I feel like they both resort to the same kind of, like, um, methods, you know. Um, one of the Dalton... I think, isn't the the second Dalton film is the only one which is, like, a 15 or an 18? Because his mate gets half-eaten by a shark. Yeah. It's... And he explodes someone in a depressurized tank. And he sets fire to... Um... Benicio what? del Toro. I don't no? think it's him. It's the other. It's the main guy. He sets fire to oh, yeah, that's right. the dude from Showgirls. Um, I can't remember his name now. <laughs> that guy. Um, he was like a villain and everything in the eighties. Uh, I'm completely blanking on his name now. Uh, so so uh, yeah, I I can kind of um, I can see how they can play the bring those different Bond bits into it. Like you could have Rye Bond and you could have Serious Bond. You could have I'll torture this guy to get the information. Like yeah, you can see this Bond, Bond getting his bollocks beaten off with a piece of rope <laughs> other than hitman like the the thing i thought of as like a really good secret agent bondy uh, level in something was um the dishonored uh, level where you go to uh, lady boyle's last party and you have to f- suss out who the who the um relevant sister is and then either assassinate oh, yeah, her or yeah. whatever but it's very james bondy because you go in in sort of disguise basically you're not meant to be there and then you you are there's all these different ways the mission can play out and that that's quite james bondy i think um as well i'm curious if you think that we could come up with a few potential bond levels based on you know the hitman series like what could you see as being a really a good kind of like a bond a a good bond level made by io interactive i would say that a kind of going to a casino would be a really good and obvious like first point of like okay your target is in this casino Either you have to get information or kill the target, but you could fundamentally turn up in a tux and you can sit at the tables and James Bond things can happen, you know? Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a good one. I think, I know, admittedly, they do this quite a bit in Hitman. I think things where people have uh, big social events or big conferences in their, like, corporate headquarters which then allow you to gain access to, like, the secret bit of the corporate headquarters. Mm. That's quite, like, I think that happens in, like, Tomorrow Never Dies quite a bit. (laughs) You know, he goes to, like, the newspaper man's party and then breaks into the newspaper facility. Um, I think a lot of, uh, to me, and this, again, it's just why Io is such a classic match. A lot of classic Bond scenes are about locations which are 
sort of social and elite and then there's like a it reveals like a sort of second half to it and there's an awful lot of that at play in in hitman one and two of kind of like each level is kind of roughly two spaces one way you're sort of welcome and one way you're not and that that that's why that works um i've always really wanted to to see io do a um and this isn't just leading up to a george lazenby bit um i've always wanted them to do a um a ski resort <laughs> with a chairlift like where you have two pl- two buildings which are split and you can travel but under the slope on the slope mm. or in the chairlift because I, I i went on one of these places i went on a, a to a relatively fancy ski resort for a wedding and i was in the the ski lift and i was thinking in a hitman game like assassinating someone in the in the cable car going past you would be so cool yeah um and also it would let you ski out of the level like george Mason and me <laughs> uh-huh. yeah and also like i think um specter has some like ski bits or not ski but, like icy resort bits where that leah sidhu's character is uh, working and stuff i can i yeah. can kind of see that yeah what about like a uh Again, it's sort of stolen from a couple of Bond films, but also an older Hitman game, like a theatre of some kind, or like an opera house. Mm. Um, I love that. It's my favourite bit in Quantum of Solace, actually, is when he goes to the opera and then he he kind of reveals the conspirators and they all leave and he sort of spies them all and kind of rounds them up. But that Hitman have done, you know, they did the opera house level in Blood Money. Yeah, uh, quite famously, that mm. feels like a, spa- a, a a good location with like lots of people, you know, glamour, but also like a, a secret backstage, and the theatricality of it plays well with kind of both Hitman and Bond. I could also see um, an airport being a good venue for a, a Bond level. Oh yeah, um, yeah, like you got quite a lot of airporty stuff in um, Casino Royale. But the reason I thought this was um, watching the film Tenet. There is a sequence where you know, spoiler alert if you're not seen the film, it's a mild spoiler really. Um, the two uh, main characters, the protagonist and Neil, uh, um, <laughs> great uh, names. <laughs> they both um, they pretend to be art collectors and go into this uh, art facility within an airport called a Freehold. Very, very important to that film's uh, plot. Weirdly, a thing I've never heard of, and um, they um, have they pretend to be art collectors, and then they set off this kind of like alarm system, and are basically there for something else. And that that made me think, oh, an airport is quite a good um, good space for this. Like, if someone's on a private jet, you can be like the you know the Bond can be like the pilot who turns up and then just shoots the guy while the plane's taking off, and that could be quite fun. And going oh, yeah. into like lounges, pretending to be someone else and being a security guard, you yeah. know, like taking someone for questioning and then like torturing them for information. Or <laughs> You've got like all types of characters in an airport as well. Like yeah. everyone is there. And the potential for really kind of lavish um, sort of settings as well. Like, cause you know, you could, you can basically have like a first class lounge that looks more like, uh, is like a whole other space where it's a bit fancier and isn't just like the kind of like windows and sort of gray shop fronts of uh, a regular airport. Like I could, I could see um, something like that working quite well. Um, mm, yeah. That'd be yeah. Good. I'd, what about if he broke into his own or had, you know, some reason to explore or break into his own headquarters? Ooh, MI5, um, that'd be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I've, I've always, if, if they ever put me in charge of Bond, which they would never do <laughs> if they let me make a bond film my dream location for a bond fight is q's lab where like everyone's grabbing just random shit and oh, you don't wow. really know what anything because everything looks like one thing but it's actually another thing really oh wow um it's i'd like love that I think could, piece. you can have real fun with something like that in a hitman game you know you just go into a room and it's like it's just full of like glasses and pens and steering <laughs> wheels but they're all secretly other things which you can kill people with and you can just have a great old time that is a fantastic idea for a level actually yeah and like the guy is sort of um the guy the guy's like a russian agent or something who's uh who's actually masquerading as someone else for a meeting at mi5 headquarters. and then yeah like it kind of kill the mole kill the mole in mi5 yeah and you could have um, escalations in that where like suddenly there loads of people who are inside mi5 turn out to be working with this guy and turn their guns on you and the whole ambience of the place changes oh and that'd be great yeah yeah yeah. can really see those types of venues becoming good bond spaces i also think about the opening of specter where you're at a parade oh yeah um, that's, I mean, that's a great io you know they've got the people tech yeah, that's. I think that works. Re- that that works really well potentially. Like that whole sequence is quite video gamey anyway. I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, and in an otherwise quite bad film. Um, but um, <laughs> but yeah, like I I think that um, 
yeah, when you when you start to connect, the, the reason people are so pumped about this news is when you connect the dots, it works really, really well. Um, yeah. Anything else that you think would work well? As I, a- I, you know, I'm, I I want them to come up with with lots of exciting things. I would like to see. I mean, it's not very Daniel Craig, I must admit, but I'd like to see one ridiculous villain layer, kind of a a layer that is it, it goes back to the old Bond tradition of. There's a load of baddies living inside something that looks okay, like yes. a volcano or a big. There's a boat and it's actually full of submarines. Or I like th- Bond does a good line in in things inside other things. Mm. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind that. What the other thing is, I don't I don't know, but um, something yeah, something big with a weird base inside. Yeah, the thing I think they have to avoid is like being off-brand Bond. Like, if they're going to do an origin story, that presumably means you have none of the actors playing the part. So when in the casting, you have to be very careful, I think, to get yeah. someone who feels like they could be a good Bond character, even though they're not the real thing. Tricky thing to pull off, you know. Absolutely. But yeah. they can do it. They're the ones. Yeah, I believe in them. last subject then i wanted to talk about games that we think are good spy games already Go, following on from goldeneye i thought perfect dark was a really obvious example of like quite a james bondy game even it's a bit more yeah. of a cyber thriller kind of feel to yeah, it yeah definitely more sci-fi but i think it's got the same like love of gadgets i love all the alternate secondary fire modes on all the guns that feels quite kind of q like mm. um and you get to walk around the carrington institute which is very like mi5 that's fun yeah, and obviously exists because they wanted to make a sequel but couldn't with the Bond license. So yeah, they kind of went in off all, on all these tangents, yeah. which I think shows you shows shows some real imagination. Um, what else do you think kind of works as a good kind of yeah, Bond? Yeah, it's, it's it's tricky. Like there aren't many games which nail it because I think most people kind of they either go full stealth, which loses some of the charisma of Bond or spies, or they go outright action, which also doesn't feel very spyish to me. Um, I've put down Deus Ex Human Revolution, mm. which I think definitely more so than the the original two feels like uh, what's Adam Jensen feels like he kind of occupy he, he can be a bit more of a Bond figure in that there are social interactions. Some of his upgrades take him into sort of like you know use it spraying weird pheromones or whatever to make people let him into bars and stuff um there's there there is a more social side to him along with him being very capable action and the fact that he spies i mean the setting is not bond at all it's mm. just all too bleak you know i think bond is fundamentally oh, and spies are fundamentally like a you know a bit more of a hopeful thing um Deus Ex is a bit too grim and unhappy but i think that's a reasonably good like it ticks a lot of boxes of like spy activities yeah i think so the kind of gadgety side of it comes into it with you hacking different um terminals and stuff like that to like take control of turrets or security cameras and yeah you know you hack into computers to read people's messages that's quite bondy as well yeah yeah i agree with you there's also um there's like a, a expansion for the second game um in that uh sub-series where uh, you are breaking into a prison basically it's like you're a fake prisoner and that's not that bondy i guess but you are pretending to be someone else in order to solve this one problem um, oh, okay and that's got i think that's got potential as a kind of a it reminds me a bit of that a mission impossible um ghost protocol where he's it starts and he's in prison ethan hunt and, oh yeah like that's um i think there's something slightly secret agently about that metal gear solid 3 is very much built in the image of like it's got kind of, it kind of riffs on uh sean connery bond films even though i don't think it's very james bond in and of itself despite the fact that you've got these kind of figures who fulfill the kind of q and m roles um, yeah actually ends up being a lot weightier plus it's about an american character and it's, it's very much about america and the russian war uh, sorry the cold war and obviously that kind of factors into the bond films but it's fundamentally a, it's about a declining empire basically yeah. james bond isn't it kojima definitely likes bond this is, oh, yeah. doesn't he always have like an unlockable tuxedo aren't there unlockable tuxedos in some of them i thought he meant in real life i thought like what like a box he just pulls out <laughs> yeah. when he's in a restaurant or something if he's been really good he unlocks his tuxedo <laughs> um yeah i think you can certainly wear one in metal gazzotted three and two i'm probably one i can't really remember but um, yeah and in four actually i think you're wearing one in uh, a whole sequence in the game yeah um so I've, you- I've popped down spy party as well which is the sort of the weird um multiplayer game where one person's trying to do spy stuff at a party 
and the other person is a sniper trying to take them out and it's it's fantastic it's 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 not the full spy experience but i would say that it has a um it captures that moment in the spy film it captures two key moments which is trying to pick someone out from a crowd like it's a great sniper game mm. um and you know something that i'd be interested to see if they they did any snipey stuff in in the the io bond given that sniping was so key in the the hitman 2 bonus mode um and uh but the person at the party you know they're trying to like blend in and not kind of reveal themselves to this sniper that they can't see and there's a there's a really good tension there i I like i'd like to see someone try to capture some of that drama in a in a sort of single player campaign Mm. whether it can be done i don't know but that's 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 good i rate that yeah Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good example of um, yeah something quite bondy but uh, specific um, in one game. Um, Alpha Protocol, um, the Obsidian RPG. I've never actually played this. I don't really love it. I know it's kind of um, revered as a sort of um, another cult classic, seven out of ten sort of game. I found it a bit too flavorless in its sort of art direction and it's the way your character looks, even though you're playing a kind of custom. Are you playing custom character? I don't really remember now. But I remember yeah, just I think thinking, you do make a spy in it. Yeah, your character is. I think it's called Michael Thornton, and I think you adjust, maybe adjust the character's appearance. But either way, like I think even though the writing was good, I just don't think it kind of looked or played well enough. Um, yeah, personally, and obviously it was a bit of a flop. But people really love it now, and um, it's probably a good touchstone for the types of levels you can do in a bond a bond game. No one lives forever. Kind of riffing. <laughs> old school bond that's like 60s yeah it's kind of more like in that austin powers vein yeah it kind of appeared around the same time that should come back that series yeah i think it's stuck in permanent uh right slimbo isn't it a nice second second one's fantastic really good yeah but both by a monolith um really obviously very accomplished first person shooter developer that would later make fear sid meyer's covert action was a a game i've not played but quite a well-liked pc cult classic oh right i bought on steam for one pound 49 in the steam sale um, (laughs) just before we recorded this podcast ka-ching says sid meyer (laughs) enjoy your uh 79p cut or whatever it is um, (laughs) and um yeah those are actually all the ones i could think of there aren't that many i i I did struggle like in my head everything was spy 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 but there aren't many Weren't Rockstar meant to be making a spy game? Yeah, it's called Agent. Um, it's meant yeah. to be made by Rockstar North, and it was meant to be a PS3 exclusive. And uh, it just sort of vanished and never really became anything. But um, I think there was some like leaked concept art that made it look quite bondy. I think like it was like I think there were like Russian locations that leaked or something like oh. that. But I would have played the shit out of a <laughs> like I mean HD era Rockstar like Red Dead L.A. Noir era Rockstar game about spies. I would have loved that game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could really see it working. But yeah, wasn't to be, sadly. Um, so yeah, it's all on you, IO Interactive. Oh, IO, you can do it. Nobody can do it. No, nobody does it better, hopefully. You, very good, yes. I, I really um, I really just think this is like a, a marriage made in heaven. I just really hope it it pays off for them and it's a good experience and it's successful for them and that they can keep doing their thing because they're really one of the... Uh, kind of one of the best developers around and uh, oh yeah yeah I, if you've not played hitman then and you're listening to this obviously like those first two games you can get them dirt cheap now they are two of the most addictive fun and replayable games around right absolutely. now absolutely such a class act the yeah. third one you just know it'll be good yeah it's like a, it's a dead cert okay great well that's uh that's our podcast on james bond matthew unless you have any more thoughts you want no to add. i've got uh no nothing nothing to add i'm bonded out yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about this again down the line too. Maybe we can give our rankings the five best Bond movies. I'm sure people, <laughs> oh, that's what people want. I'm sure that's why people tune into a video games podcast. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you very much for listening. If you like this episode, uh, consider subscribing on the service of your choice. You can follow us at BackpagePod on Twitter and email us your thoughts at BackpageGames at gmail.com. We are also both on Twitter. So uh, I'm Samuel W. Roberts. Matthew, you're... Uh... Mr. Basil underscore pesto. Yeah, and uh, we'll be back next week for a mystery episode that we haven't decided at the time of recording, but I'm sure will be extremely entertaining. Oh, so, uh, of course. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye.